Welcome to the Genesis Church Podcast. We'll have more information at the end of the podcast, but for now, please enjoy this week's teaching. Jonah chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Get up, go to Nineveh, that great city, and proclaim to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah set out and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly large city, a three days walk across. Jonah began to go into the city, going on a day's walk, and he cried out, Forty days more, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast, and everyone, great and small, put on sackcloth. The word of the Lord. Good morning, Genesis. Uh, It is really good to be with you today. I know many of you, but not all of you. So uh, my name is Stephanie Spencer, longtime friend of Genesis. Um, And I work at a place called Forty Orchards, where we study scripture communally and say that questions are better than answers. So uh, my warning is you might have... You might be used to all play questions here, but my sermon is like all all play questions. <laughs> and so uh, buckle up. Um, and uh, one of the things I like to joke about is the quality of the sermon is directly dependent on whether or not you participate. So if you don't like what I have to say, that's on you, not on me. Um, so uh, I will be asking a lot of questions. And, um, and just inviting you to respond. So we're not going to use the handheld mic for this. I'm just going to invite you to project your voice, and then I will repeat into the microphone, both for the sake of those who struggle to hear and for the sake of those watching online. Hello, those watching online. And um, because I find that that just helps everybody feel free to participate um, and to shout things out. And if you happen to interrupt each other, I'll just help. I'll, I'll work with that. I'll be like, oh, you go, then you go and we'll figure it out together. So I'm going to start with a question uh, because uh, one of the things in approaching scripture with questions is to just be in the practice of noticing what you notice. Um, And knowing that that says something, that's the beginning of the way the Spirit speaks to us in the scriptures, is what sticks out to you. And that might be different than what sticks out to somebody else, and there's probably a reason it's sticking out to you. So as you heard Bob read the scripture, as you look at it right now in your liturgy, what sticks out to you? Especially, is there a question that rises to the surface in response to what you heard? Does anything make you uncomfortable? Does anything make you curious? Anybody got one? Okay, (laughs) great. (laughs) All right. Cassandra's why do they all need to wear a sackcloth? What is with a sackcloth? Great question. How did all of the people of Nineveh, this great city, it's emphasized just how big and great it is, yet somehow all of them listened, and all of them seem to have listened quickly. What's with that, says Bob. Uh-huh. Okay, so Will's noticing a discrepancy <laughs> as well. Somehow it spread from one day of him walking. Okay, it emphasizes just how big this city is, that it's 
a three days walk, but it only says he walked for a day, and somehow even just walking for a day was enough to spread that message. Everybody repented. Everybody put on that mysterious sackcloth, and the scripture for today ends. Okay, great. Kara's very, okay, we're, um, Kara's interested in verse 10, which isn't in the liturgy. So, Kara, what does verse 10 have to say? Well, verse 10 says that when God saw what they did, how they turned from their ways, God changed God's mind about the thing that he was going to do. Okay, Kara is curious about verse 10, which says, when God saw their works, when saw what they did, uh, he repented. And change, I'm going to just add the word, so it's changed God's mind, but the word is he repented. God repented of bringing the evil that he was going to bring when the people repented and put on that sackcloth. What is with that? <laughs> Any other questions we want to collect? Okay, in this idea of God having perfect love, why would that God not change God's mind in response to the repentance? Or I might add the question, why would that God bring calamity in the first place? Without, <laughs> what, what is with a God who brings calamity if God is supposed to be love? So that's kind of an overarching question. Why does this even need it if God is loving? Why would God even think of bringing calamity to a place? Any other questions rise to the surface? Dan told me that time limits are, are fuzzy, so um, well, if you don't mind just staying here the rest of the day, then we can tackle all of those things that came up. Um, but really, I think hopefully a part of what that does is it helps us see no matter where we are in Scripture, there's a lot of places we could go. There's a lot of ways that it can speak. And how, it's, how this passage speaks to this community on this day will be different than how God would speak through this passage to another community today or through this community next month or to somebody who's not here. And to let it speak to us is a part of how the scripture feels alive. So to say, what is with all of these questions we raised? What is with God changing God's mind? What is with sackcloth? What is with this fast response, even with only a day's journey. Um, so let's set a little context to, um, to the book of Jonah. This is happening around um, 750 BC. Um, and in this time, the Assyrian Empire is the big player in the ancient Near East. Um, and they are rising up, and they are expanding. And they're even considered, the Assyrian Empire is considered perhaps some, one of the first ancient empires to really use warfare, to really understand how to use warfare and conquering. Um, the, Egypt, the Egyptian Empire was big and powerful for a long time, but it didn't do a lot to try to expand Egypt outside of Egypt. The Assyrians are the first to say, hey, we're powerful, let's go get more. And so the Assyrians, for years now, like hundreds of years, have been slowly conquering the lands of the ancient Near East. And they have gotten closer and closer to the northern kingdom of Israel, which is where Jonah is from. In fact, they have started to uh, conquer even like Mount Carmel in the north part has become a part of Assyria. Jonah is from Nazareth. 
essentially. That's kind of, it's called something different, but it's really close to Nazareth, which is a town we might be more familiar with from the New Testament. Very close to where the Assyrians are as they've expanded their empire. In about 50 years from Jonah's life, the Assyrians will conquer all of the northern kingdom of Israel. This is an imminent thing coming towards the northern kingdom of Israel, that the Assyrian Empire is going to take them over, and the ten tribes of the northern kingdom will disappear and not be heard from again as they are conquered and assimilated into the Assyrian Empire. That's going to happen within the next generation after Jonah. Nineveh is the capital of the Assyrian Empire. So how do you feel if you are Jonah, who, by the way, in uh, 2 Kings 14, uh, that is actually a place where we meet Jonah, if anyone wants to look at 2 Kings 14, verse uh, 25, where he predicts to Jeroboam, I think that's the way the king is, whoever the king of northern kingdom is at the time, (laughs) it's hard to track names, Um, he predicts that God is going to expand the northern kingdom. God is going to make the king of the northern kingdom of Israel stronger than the Assyrian king and going to take that land back that the Assyrians had had given. He has already said that to the northern kingdom's king. And in first in John Jonah chapter 1, which we didn't look at, God says the word of the Lord comes to Jonah and says go to Nineveh and tell them that a calamity is coming if they don't repent. Anyone know what Jonah does in Jonah chapter 1? This is perhaps a more famous part of the story. He runs away. The Nineveh is north and east of... um, of, I'm doing the map backwards as you guys say. So if this is Israel, Nineveh's over here. How does Jonah run away? He gets on a boat to go to Tarshish, which is in southern Spain. Um, Nineveh, so if, we could, if you kind of know any geography um, modern day, Nineveh is about where Mosul, Iraq is. So he's being sent from Israel to Mosul, Iraq, and he gets on a boat to go to Tarshish, Spain. Why? If you're Jonah, why would you do that? God says, go to Nineveh. <laughs> okay. Ooh, two, we got to double up, which is great. So Bob first. Okay, I'm scared blankless. So you are, you're being asked to go to the most powerful city in the world and tell them they're wrong. So, you know, how is that going to go? And also, this is a powerful city that's shown violence. That's how they have established their kingdom, is they are violent, and you're going to go tell them all you're wrong. They're wrong. So nobody wants to be that messenger. But then over here, somebody said something else. Okay, he doesn't want them to repent because what happens if they repent? Like what happens in verse 10 that Kara brought us to? What does God do? God doesn't destroy Nineveh because they repented. And because God doesn't destroy Nineveh, what is Nineveh going to do? Continue on in power. 
what happens if Jonah, if Jonah in chapter 1 says, I'm not going to go, and the people never hear the message of God, and God then responds by destroying them, what does that mean for Israel, which is supposedly God's people? Survival. Survival. It is good for the nation of Israel if Nineveh doesn't repent, and if Nineveh does have calamity. That helps them. Bob's got a thought. Okay, now we're in the book of Jonah because Bob made us uncomfortable. (laughs) Which is, wait a second though. If they repented, wouldn't that mean that changes their trajectory and they no longer are an empire that is conquering other nations? And it turns out, no. It turns out that they don't change anything beyond putting on sackcloth and saying they're sorry. Which is why Jonah's mad about everything. So I want to invite us to wonder as we dive into our questions of this passage and the discomfort of this passage to wonder what would be a Nineveh to us? It is hard sometimes when we think about in in scriptures, we hear words like enemies and sometimes in the modern world, we're like, I don't have an enemy. (laughs) Who is a group that has power, that you feel like has abused that power, that you would really like God to take justice against? And how would it feel if God said, actually, go tell them that they need to change? And if they do repent, I'll forgive them, which means you won't get the justice you're looking for. Should we all list what that group is? That would be a real comfortable church service, right? (laughs) So uh, just to warn you, that's not going to get resolved. I just want us to... (laughs) I think sometimes we read the Bible as a feel-good document. Oh, these are things I can embroider on a pillow or hang up on my wall and be like, God is so good. And even if we go to Jonah 4... Um, Jonah, Jonah himself will say um, some words that I feel like could easily be embroidered on a pillow. So he says, um, uh, sorry, I, where is the verse? Oh, he prayed to the Lord and he said, I fled to Tarshish because I knew that you are a gracious God, merciful and slow to anger and of great kindness. That seems like it always would feel like a good thing. But he, in this circumstance, didn't want God to be slow to anger. He wanted God to do something to defend his people against those people. 
Any new questions popping up? Any new? I don't, that was said so well, Bob. I don't want my enemy to be destroyed. I just don't want them to be as effective as they are. I'd like them to be neutralized. (laughs) And what I want to invite us to wonder is who gets to decide who the good guys and bad guys are? Who gets to decide who gets to repent? Who gets to decide what level of repentance is enough to qualify? Who gets to decide if repentance is genuine? Jonah's story is very much a story about us and God and what it feels like to not be God and to feel like we want things to happen that we don't get to decide. And sometimes we're put in conversations that don't feel comfortable, and what do we do with all of that? And what do we do with a God who changes God's mind? So let's go to Kara's question that she brought about that. So this is verse 10, which isn't in there, so I'll read it here. When God saw their works is what it says. So the word is masa, And um, so he saw their works, what they did, what they made, that they turned, shuv, turned, we'll come back to that verse, from their evil ways, God repented, naham, of the evil that he had said he would do to them, and he did not bring that. So there's a, two different words for repentance going on, one being used of the people, one being used of God. So God saw something that they did, saw their works, that they turned. So there's these delicious words in Scripture that go together. So one is the word Torah, which is often translated as law, but every Hebrew word comes from a verb. So it is always helpful to go back to the verb. So the word Torah is rooted in the word yare. Yare means to cast at a target. So Torah, law, teaching, instruction, the verb root of it is towards a target. It's towards something. God's instructions are towards an end. They're for a direction. They're, They're not just instructions, they're instructions. I use a lot of hand gestures in person. (laughs) This is why I'm better in person than on Zoom, because I get to just use my body to do that. So Torah is towards. Chata, which is the word that's often translated sin, is to miss the mark. 
Notice how that goes with. There's a Torah, there's a Yorei, there's an instruction from God taking us in a direction. And sometimes there's sin where we miss that mark. We don't go in that direction that God has called us to go in. The word for repentance is shuv or teshuva, which means to turn. So, yare towards a target, chata, missed the mark. I think kids are coming in. <laughs> um, as, uh, as I miss the mark, I'm invited to shuv or turn. <laughs> Just give a second. <clears throat> Welcome back, kids. We're glad you're here. So how does it affect how you think of what it means to repent if you think of it as turning? What does it mean to turn? Change direction. To adjust. That would be the hope. <laughs> so this, so exactly, I think you're hitting right at it, Pam. So the implication is hopefully you're turning towards the target so you're back on track again, but it really just means to turn. So what is possible? In repentance, I see, oh, I missed the mark, I turned. What's possible in that turning, to Pam's point? I might, I might still miss the mark. I might have turned towards the wrong way. Or I might have overshot it. Or, or I might have turned around. <laughs> One of the things that this passage is hitting at is that it seems that turning itself is enough for God to pause. We tend to think, I'm only good enough if I turn all the way, if I get back on track. I've turned and I know exactly where the target is. My life is, I'm up and to the right again. All the people did was put on that sackcloth. All they did in putting on sackcloth, sackcloth is a sign of mourning and grief. If I put on a sign of mourning, if I am the most powerful empire in the world, if I am the military might that everyone is afraid of, and I cover myself with sackcloth and I cry out to God, what, how have I turned? How have we turned if we as the most powerful capital city in the known world does that? We changed our posture. If I put on sackcloth, what do I have to take off? Armor. Any of those signs of might and wealth that I have been wearing, I have to take off in order to put sackcloth on. So how have I turned? How have I changed my posture, to use Cassandra's words? How have we? I mean, it begs the question, just like people with Bob saying, like the end result. Mm -hmm. what, what did materially change? Mm -hmm. Uh, 
And as we feel, so we'll name the tangible frustration of how this feels performative. And one of the things that we should allow scripture to do is hold that frustration because have we experienced that in our lives? Have we ever looked at people in power and said, that feels performative? That does not feel good enough. That does not feel true. Scripture tells that story. We then get to read Jonah and be like, I would be sitting under that tree mad at God too. And we can feel that way, and our story is here. And sometimes that's where we are. We're like, this feels performative. It feels like not enough. How about, how could it help us in any way, maybe? Anybody feel encouraged that it is enough to just put on the sackcloth? At least enough for now. So let's hold the frustration in one hand and say we don't have to resolve that and say, could there be encouragement here also? Rebecca, do you have something back there? Oh, I'm going to do my best to repeat that, but I'm not. I'm going to. I'm going to fall short. <laughs> go, go to Rebecca. Have her repeat it, <laughs> but. This idea of, I want that to be enough for me. I want it to be enough if I change posture, if I put on sackcloth, because sometimes all I can do is just shift that much. And if I want that be, to be enough for me, can I find my way to offer that as being enough for someone else? And if I can't, what does that say about what do I really believe about that action for myself? Because if it's enough for me, can't it also be enough for everybody? Cassandra. Okay, there can be this sense of how does the act of that grieving, that change in posture, in and of itself, change something in us? Even maybe in ways that aren't always visible to everybody else, but are shifting something in us. And maybe, maybe a few people in Nineveh were a little less violent. <laughs> we don't know, we weren't there. <laughs> The empire itself didn't change, but does that mean that no human inside the empire changed? Yeah, Pam. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so when we think about repentance or turning as a process, how can we take each turn as being enough? What they did in this moment was enough for God to shift. 
because it was enough to have the potential to shift their direction. But then like a ship, you have to keep shifting, you have to keep adjusting. And so perhaps this had the potential to change the trajectory of the, of the Assyrian Empire. And just because it didn't, doesn't mean it couldn't. And so why is there important to pause there and say, let's give this a chance to take root and to see if this turn could do something. So I'm not gonna destroy this city right away. I'm gonna wait. I'm going to see how this turn might lead to another turn, might lead to another turn, and how can we accept that process in ourselves, in our communities, and in whoever that other is, that we don't want to accept repentance as a slow, ongoing process. Cassandra's got one a thought bursting, I'll, and then we'll probably need to move forward. Okay, how might there be inherent potential even in a place like Nineveh? And how might God be giving space to see what that potential could do with this turning? Which leads us to the verse 10 word that's different than turning. What happens with God is the word naham, when God changes God's mind in some of our translations, uh, or when God repented in my translation. Naham means... It's a sigh. It's a sigh of regret. It's a sigh of sadness. It's a sigh of consolation and comfort. So God sees this turn and God sighs in this comfort and uh, pausing place of sorrow and consolation and gives time to see what happens with this act. So I invite you now to just notice what is still lingering for you. It might feel like a burning question that you really wish we had gotten to that we didn't. It might feel like an encouragement you want to cling to and come back to, but allow something to take root in you as you take this message into your heart so that it can then go into your life in some tangible way. Maybe you need to study Jonah 3 a little more today or this week, or maybe there's just an idea, a thought that is yours. Um, allow that to take place before you move into the week. Thank you for listening to the Genesis Church Podcast. Our teaching team is made up of men and women who love asking probing questions of each week's scripture portion. Creating opportunities for our community to respond from wherever they are in their faith formation. We follow the Revised Common Lectionary and a church calendar because they anchor us in something which can hold us no matter what life throws our way. Our goal is to become ordinary apprentices of Jesus who are learning to love God, ourselves, and others wholeheartedly. If you have any questions or would like to connect with please us, please visit genesiscove.org. Thank you.